0: 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.
1: Bob White was attending these conferences, it was way back, I think it was in the early 90s. 1996
2: wasn't it? was his first conference down here.
1: And he came here. And he came in and he said, I've got something out in the truck you've got to see, but I can't get anyone to come out and look at it. And he said... (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't that sound familiar? (laughs) They all was thinking it was a fake and they wouldn't even go look at it. I said, I'll go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but he's saying it's something that he found that fell off of a UFO. So everybody was saying, ah, oh, you know, it's good. We, didn't, we didn't want to go look at it. So I went out to see it. And I, I know it was real, because after that, in fact, Linda, are you still here? She yeah. She left? Linda? I saw that. You remember I came back in and got you? Yeah. And I said, come out here to the truck. you got to see this thing. That's right. And you broke a little piece off of it. That's right. And I never knew what happened to that little piece. Uh, I think that we found that it had a lot of content, not like the I can't hear you from here. But anyway, <laughs> I went. we went out there and we talked to the man. And I really believed him. He was sincere because he wanted somebody to at least see this. He spent years trying to get anybody to be interested. Huh? He took it to Los Alamos. Los Alamos. They wanted to keep it naturally. <laughs> <laughs> he knew if he'd let them have it, he would never see it again. Yeah. And Larry Luric- Sikander is his, his old friend through all of this. Yeah. He was taking it everywhere and then
2: began taking it to all we places. took it uh, across the country. Uh, we went to Los Alamos, New Mexico Tech, and did tests on it, uh, Delta State, Missouri, MSU, uh, University of Illinois, uh, and many more.
1: Microphone,
2: microphone. I can hear
3: it okay up here. You can't <laughs> <laughs>
4: Can you hear me now? Yeah.
2: Okay. Uh, now, it's been to Los Alamos. It went to uh, National Institute for Discovery Science, did some tests on it uh, in 97. Uh, Los Alamos called it an unknown object, an unknown origin, 19 times in their report. Uh, the most prestigious scientific research group in the country. Don't know what it is. What's our poor meager people supposed to do? Uh,
1: well, he told me... At the one, I think it was Los Alamos, or one of them said, Oh, you probably made it in your garage. Yeah. Said, oh,
2: yeah. Yeah, we got a test that says they didn't, it wasn't made in any garage.
1: But they thought, <laughs> you know, they wanted to take it and keep it and uh, do experiments on it. The only thing they did do was cut that tip off.
2: They cut the large end, Los Alamos, and they kept a slice. It was out of Bob's sight for about an hour. They gave him a tour of the place. And in the time it was out of his sight, they managed to take about an eighth-inch slice that they kept. And I can prove that when I cut the end does not match the top half to the bottom half. There's about an eighth-inch gap. Hmm. So because where did that go? No.
1: But that's the only thing you would let them do was cut that much off of it. He wasn't going to give the whole thing to them. But now, I wanted Bob, Bob White to come, and I'd lost track of him. He was in touch with me for many, many years. He wanted me to publish his book about how it happened. But the book wasn't, wasn't very thick. It wasn't a real book. So I said, you make it bigger, and I'll do it. And he never got back with me. So I've known him for all this time. I know what he was saying was real. I've learned in all of these years how to tell the fakes. Doing enough of these conferences, you can tell the ones that are phonies. But he, this is real case. But Bob died. I was trying to find him. I said, I wanted to come on the show. The year conference. Was it a this is last year? Yeah, it was I last him, year. I'm driving
2: down the road and is this Bob White? It was you on the phone. I says, no. I says, it would be a long distance phone call. You know. <laughs> I <finally laughs> he,
1: found Larry. I said, I'm trying to him. But I did see Bob White finally on the History Channel last year, and I said, Finally, somebody is listening to you, Bob. But it took a while to find a way to contact you. Right. And then you said, You have the object Mm -hmm. now, and you promised Bob you would continue trying to get this known to the public.
2: Absolutely. Okay. That was was the deal. Bob and I were very, very close, or like brothers. Travel the country, when you ride a 42-foot bus across the country, the you, two, get, you get pretty close. You know, and uh, we had some fun. We enjoyed it until his health, he just couldn't do it anymore. In the meantime, we'd had a scientist in MSU. We snuck in the back door, and we got an X-ray diffraction test done on the piece of the metal. And the guy that did the test... I have have this on movie, I was, I was taking it, video, and you see him leaning over, closer closer to the computer screen. And then he gets his supervisor of the supervisor of the shop there, or the, the uh, university, he says, what is that? And you see this jump on the screen and then there's a big long taper, and then it goes into your normal readings. And what was found was an amorphous peak now, what that is, is a polycrystalline structure that's not normally used in any kind of metal. I'm
1: gonna let you take it. A... Okay. okay. But anyway, when Bob died, it was mysterious circumstances.
2: <coughs> yeah, that too. So let's let Larry let take over. He wants to carry on Bob White's legacy. I... <laughs> Hello. Okay, stay working. Okay, as, as I was saying, uh, the scientists found this amorphous peak in reading. Now this man is a specialist in metallurgy, master's degree, worked for Boeing aircraft. He knows his stuff. They cannot find a match to this anywhere on our planet. Now, in 1985 when this piece was recovered, The technology was not even available to do this. In 1988 is as soon as that you'll see anything called amorphous peak, but not in aluminum. In 1990, it's the first time that you see this amorphous peak again, and then it's in aluminum. Uh, I'm gonna play the DVD I made of Bob, let Bob tell you his story and then uh, see some of the scientists. And then at the end of the presentation, I'll take questions and answers. So I guess we'll take off with the DVD. I think we'll take off the DVD. There's a little lag time before the star. There it is. And we had a little fun with this too. This is Bob singing his song. <laughs>
5: For me, just open up the case, oh, you'll discover it. It came from outer space, oh, you'll discover it. It came, it came from outer space, it came from outer space, it came from
4: outer space, it came from outer space. This is the real thing.
5: I'm not a skeptic any longer.
6: Uh, it's like the best mystery story you've ever read.
5: And I know the truth.
6: Uh, this perhaps is the,
5: uh, one of the most unusual UFO stories that... Uh, I have to believe what I saw.
2: We're just going to keep pushing. And sooner or later we're going to push over the apple cart.
5: How many other people have a piece of a UFO? that I couldn't see if there was any solid object in it or not. All I saw was this round light. This other object propelled out of it, right back down to where I was standing. I didn't ask for this. But by damn I'll see it through. To the end. on my way to uh las vegas with a young lady in her car she was driving i was asleep and she woke me uh i was taking a nap it was around two or three o'clock in the morning and we were between grand junction colorado and cisco utah on the old highway six that was before the super highway went through so we were we were driving when she woke me up and asking what this strange light was in front of us and uh There was a railroad track on the right-hand side of us, and I just assumed it was a railroad light. That's what it looked like at the distance that we were from it. And I told her so, and I went back to sleep. Well, it must have been doing some pretty strange things that I didn't see. When I saw it, it was stationary, so high off the ground. She woke me a little while later, and she said, that's not a railroad light. And I looked at it, and of course I realized that she was right, because now it's about the size of a full harvest moon, and that's at arm's length. So I decided to stay awake and watch it. And as we kept driving, we got closer to it, the larger it became. And uh, I realized then that this thing was enormous. So I decided that uh, we would turn the, it was a very uh, late at night, or early in the morning, like 2 or 3 o'clock. So. I reached over and shut the headlights off and we drove that way for a while and we got closer to it and I shut the ignition off and we started coasting. And the closer we got, the larger this became. And We rounded a curve in the highway to the right and I noticed that the light then was no longer on the right hand side of the road but on the left hand side. And we got within a few hundred feet of it and I had her stop the car. She was terrified. She didn't want to stop the car. I got out of the car on the passenger side and stepped in front of the car to look at it. This thing was about the size of a three-story building. It was so bright that I couldn't see if there was any solid object in it or not. All I saw was this round light. And I held my hands up in front of my face like this in order to get a better look at it so I could shield my eyes from it. But I couldn't tell if there was anything solid in it or not. All I could see was the light. And as I was standing there in front of the car looking at it, I guess that she was so nervous, so so terrified that she turned the headlights on. And when she did, the thing just shot straight up in the air like that, that fast. And then it connected with another light. When it got up in the sky, About <clears throat> looked like two blue neon tubular lights, one on top of the other, with a space in the middle. And this thing connected to the end of it, or, or it hit the end of it. And, and I noticed it kind of lit up a little bit uh, like perhaps it was an explosion or something. I didn't hear any noise and it was quite a distance. Now, this th- other object propelled out of it right back down to where I was standing. Had it fallen straight down, I'd have never found it. It would have been miles from me. But there was a little embankment and it hit on the other side of this embankment. And I said, I'm gonna find out if I what, what that was. So I climbed up the embankment, I saw the groove in the hillside, and it had just kind of straightened out like that, and I followed the groove to the end, and there this object lay. Now, I don't know what size it was when it started out, but I know when I picked it up, or when I got to it, I didn't pick it up right away, because it was still glowing. And uh, I went back to the car, I took the keys from the ignition, so I opened the trunk of the car to find something to pick this up with, and there was one brown cotton glove in the in the trunk of the car. Went back to the object, followed the groove in the ground till I got to the object. It was no longer glowing. And then I run the back of my hand over it, and I didn't feel any heat. So I dropped the glove on top of this object to pick it up in case it was hot. I could let go of it real quick, and it wasn't. I picked it up, took it back to the car she was still sitting on the passenger side and she was crying and I put it in the trunk of the car wrapped in the glove and went in and got in the driver's side and said I'll drive well I knew I had to anyway she was too nervous so I I drove and we was looking for a place to to get a drink or a cup of coffee or something actually a drink is what I was looking for so uh, we came to an all-night diner we went inside and sat down at the counter and there was about oh, maybe four or five stools at the counter and two tables. Now that's as big as the place was. And there was a gasoline pump outside uh, and an old phone booth. And the phone booth was green, I remember that. and we sat down at the counter and had, had some coffee and there was the two tables back and back and each table had two chairs and at one table was a couple of prospectors and they overheard us talking about the uh experience we just had and one of them came up to me and he said uh, he said you folks saw something out there tonight didn't you and i said yes i said we saw some lights he said did you report them and i said well, no why would i report them and who would i report them to He said, well we see them here all the time, every night. And he said, we report them, and he said, they don't believe us and they won't investigate. Maybe coming from a couple of outsiders, someone that doesn't live here, he said, they might investigate if you were to tell them. I said, I don't know who to call. And he wrote down a phone number and handed it to me. He said, call these people. And he said, I'd appreciate it if you did. So when we left the restaurant, the little green phone booth that was right outside, I made the phone call. And uh, I remember it was a local call, so there must have been an airbase nearby or something, and they said they hadn't seen anything on radar, and that uh, what I had seen was probably reflections of some lights, uh, swamp gas, or balloons, or uh, anyway, they blew me off. And that was the end of it, and I said, that's fine. Uh, I can put this out of my mind and, and pursue my career now without feeling guilt as though I have some part of a government secret project. That was my impression, that it was a secret project that the government was working on. Uh, I had no, um, I hadn't entertained any ideas of it being extraterrestrial until I was told later by a scientist at Los Alamos that it was extraterrestrial. And uh, he told me this over the phone. I have uh, an object here that is, to say the least, extremely unusual. The fact that it's 80% aluminum and that it has over 30 different rare earth elements in it, How they put together, we don't know. We know that it has the uh, hardness and the grain structure of steel, and I don't believe we have anything here on Earth like that. How many other people have a piece of a UFO and are willing to back it up with a sworn affidavit and a polygraph test and seven analysis?
8: To give you the best example of it is if somebody comes out of a closet and they scare you, you get that adrenaline rush for a second, uh-huh. that's your fight or flight response kicking in. Uh. That's what the polygraph kind of deals with. If I have a guy who robbed a bank down at Grand Junction, let's say on Main Street on Friday, uh-huh. and I bring him in and I say, hey, did you rob the Wells Fargo bank on Friday with a gun? Let's say he did it and he tells me, he. let's say he lies and said I didn't do it, but he really did. Yeah. And what he has to fear is being me detecting him of lying because he can go to prison. All that kind of thing. What yeah. it would be in your case would be embarrassment that you weren't telling the truth. Right. Um, so that would be the jeopardy there. And, and that triggers off the fight-or-flight response. When you lie, it's a fear of being detected of lying. So it's simply that. That's how the polygraph works. And we measure the heart rate, um, your sweat activity, and your breathing.
6: Okay. The amazing thing is that you could take any of a great number of witnesses that I've talked to, and you could take those people into a courtroom, and they could send a man to the electric chair based on their testimony, and yet that same witness could claim a UFO sighting, and it would be ridiculed. See, there is an incredible uh, set of double standards. And yeah, we can believe them and send a guy to the chair, but we can't believe them on on these terms. So uh, it's a pretty incredible situation to uh, to have to deal with.
8: So, you guys are traveling, uh, and it was Old Highway 6, right, at that time? Yeah. Now by, so, you're going, so you, you know pretty much you're in between Grand Junction and Cisco. Right. Okay. So, you guys are driving along, as I take it, as I remember, you're asleep in the vehicle. Okay. Um, she awakens you and says, right. hey, there's a there's a bright light or something? Yeah. Or what did she say? She asked me, she, what's that bright light in the head? Okay. Um, there was a regular track
5: on the right hand side. I knew that. Okay. And I say, it's about the size of, of a Right,
6: Okay. The of okay. In my work, I do microsections of uh, printed circuit boards. I use a microscope. I'm familiar with uh, this type of technique. That's what we do all the time, looking for uh, foreign objects in printed circuit boards. Uh, Bob has had his object studied by laboratories, including the Los Alamos National Laboratory. Uh, the magnifications that he has had his object uh, magnified to is what I work with every day. And I'm familiar with these type of things, and I can tell that these are legitimate uh, microphotographs. photographs. Uh, the analysis that have been done are legitimate. His lie detector tests are legitimate. So he has quite a story that uh, has been uh, confirmed by, uh, by laboratories and by uh, his lie detector tests.
8: Yeah. After I did some research on this, I mean, I think your, your story is obviously genuine. And and it's so far-fetched you know uh, I mean, to I'm me so it's weird. not it's not that far-fetched because what the way I look at this and tell me if you think I'm wrong is the way after I went through your statement and looked at this thing you got an object from something yes what that something was you don't know I don't know it's unidentified it could be government it could be extraterrestrial exactly but what we're here to confirm is your story happened yes the way you got it and that's the way you got it but then people don't look at it like that right well you can't people can't be that close-minded they are
5: Believe me, they are. Oh, I know they are. I deal with with that every day. The only thing thing that I said was, here's what happened to me, and here's what I have. You decide what it is. Even the people at Los Alamos Mm -hmm. and the people at the National Institute for Discovery Science, I went to them, and I didn't say a thing to them about it uh, being extraterrestrial or anything, but they called me, Mm -hmm. and they said, sorry to disappoint you, but it's not extraterrestrial. I never said it was. Right, exactly. And I
8: said, I'm not this. You're just saying you're truthful about how it happened. That's right, all. Exactly.
5: exactly. That's all I'm interested in is the truth. I want to find out what this is. If they tell me that you know, when I first went to Los Alamos had they said, yeah, it's a government project, a secret. Like I say, I'm as patriotic as the next guy. I would have said, keep it. I won't say anything to anybody about it. But they lied to me and then they tried to make it appear as though I lied. And that got my dander up, my fighting spirit.
4: Uh,
5: I had agreed to go with uh, with unsolved mysteries. and uh, they suggested that I have another analysis and I said fine because they said, well Los Alamos can do... Um, can do uh, the, uh, the proper tests on it, and uh, w- you should you should uh, send it to them. And I said, no, 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 I'm not sending it anywhere. And they said, well, cut a piece off. And I said, no, I have already cut it, and I'm not going to cut it anymore. They said, well, would you be willing to take the piece there? And I said, well, you know, I would, except that I I was always under the impression that Los Alamos is government-funded, and I don't want anything to do with the government because I'm afraid that they'll confiscate the object and I'll never see it again. And he said, well, this particular department is not government-funded. He said, it's, it's funded by the uh, University of California. And he said, not only that, but the person who will be in charge of the analysis, the name is Paul Dunn, and he is the brother to one of the producers of Unsolved Mysteries. I flew there uh, to uh, Albuquerque, and they had a car waiting for me, and and I drove to uh, Los Alamos, and I stayed at the Hilltop Inn, uh, in case anyone wants to check. Uh, Paul Dunn picked me up the next day, and we went down to the uh, uh, to Los Alamos, and uh, we into the parking lot. We walked through the gate, and there was a guard shack at the gate, and there were several armed guards, and I was told to stand behind the white line, wide white line, and it also said deadly force would be used. So I stood behind the white line and went inside the guard shack, and they got a badge for me and put it on me. We went inside the facility. As we got inside, Paul said, wait here a moment. I stood there, and he went inside, and then I heard this announcement come over to the loudspeaker. said, uh, visitor on premises, take necessary precautions. When he came out, I said, was that for my benefit? He said, certainly was. He said, we don't get many visitors here. So we we went into uh, on into the facility there, to the laboratory, and I was introduced to a Dr. Robert Ryswick. Now, Dr. Ryswick was the one that was supposed to do the analysis on this. Dr. Ryswick is a scientist who is retired from uh, Los Alamos, but they call him in on, uh, thank you, they call him in on spatial occasions, and he works part time. and he, And this my unknown object was considered uh, something spatial. They called several scientists and several people that worked there into the laboratory where I, where the, I was showing the object. And there were several of them there. Now there were a lot of them that held it. Well, there were some that wouldn't touch it. And I said, "Well, go ahead and touch it. I've been I've I've had it for all these years, and I don't go in the dark." but they were still a little afraid. They showed me around the uh, facilities, and then they told me they would have to cut the object. I didn't want to do that anymore, because I thought it would ruin the looks of it. But they said the machine, the uh, the equipment that they had to to analyze the object with uh, wasn't capable of handling an object this large. And they would like to have a, a piece taken off of the large end, And I said, if that's the only way we can do it, I came all the way out here, I don't want to go home in, handed, let's do it. Now my impression was that they could do this in one day. And I don't know why I believed them, but I, I did. And But they kept the object, they cut, they put it in a saw, uh, they cut it. And while they were cutting it, Uh, Paul told me, he said, this is going to take some time to cut through the large end of this. While they're cutting it, we'll show you around the facilities and show you what we're going to do. This was the first time the object was out of my sight. When it came back, the object had already been cut. And there was also a person there, uh, John Bass, from Public Relations, and he had a camcorder a professional camcorder, one of these large ones on his shoulder, and he asked me to hold the object and turn it certain ways, which I did, and then he said he needed to see the object being cut. So they reenacted the cutting of the object. And this is this becomes very important. They reenacted the cutting of the object and, and I have there was a video made and I wasn't supposed to get a copy of it, but I did. Now, I talked to Dr. Reiswick after I had come back home, and I hadn't heard anything from Los Alamos, and, and I, so I called, and I talked to Dr. Reiswick, and Dr. Reiswick, and here's the, this was on October the 16th, and Dr. Reiswick told me over the telephone that this object was definitely extraterrestrial. And I put that in my sworn statement, and I passed a lie detector test to that to that fact. And then Dr. Ryswick, I asked him if he would repeat that so my wife could hear it. And he repeated it, and she heard him say it. And then he asked me if I would send him the small in pieces that was returned to me by uh, New Mexico Tech. Well, at that point, I said, yes, at that point, I... I, I I'd have sent him anything he wanted. This is the uh, Federal Express receipt, and here's the trace number up here, in case anyone wanted to write that down and check on me, where I sent it to Dr. Ryswick. These are the small end pieces that I sent him. Now, after he got the small end pieces, I I talked to uh, Dr. Stanton Friedman uh, a while later, just as a matter of fact, just a few months ago, and he said, well, I've already checked you out. He said, I talked to Dr. Ryswick, and he said he didn't say that. Well, Dr. Ryswick said he didn't say a lot of things, which he did say, and which I am able to prove that he said, because I have them on tape now. I started, when I found out all these people were telling me stories, I started taping all my telephone conversations.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary, void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
5: We started off coming to Laughlin because the largest UFO conference in the United States is at the Flamingo. We thought that this would be an excellent opportunity to have a press conference and to share our experience, my experience, and share the object that we have uh, with the world. Unfortunately, uh, due to a series of events, it didn't work out the way we had planned. It was closed. I may well, have uh, something in the safe and, uh, and I can't get it out, it won't work. No, the numbers don't light up. Thank you. And we had the object in a safe. Now, whether or not the object caused the batteries to go dead, the battery to go dead, in the safe uh, is a mystery. Wait a I didn't try my black.
2: One. The farther we go into this, uh, the more strange it gets. Little, little things that don't, you don't think about to start with. Five years ago, all of a sudden, it's continuously happening, one after the other. That's unbelievable.
5: Unbelievable. Just another day in the life of Bob White. <laughs> Nobody's going to believe this. Well, just a function, I suppose. But it doesn't even light up. No. On, it's really dead. Oh, boy. It's so safe, lock it says safe on lock, but it's not. Too many coincidences. It's been that way ever since I recovered this thing.
2: You had the battery. You had that
5: battery. You had enough juice in it yesterday to open that safe. It Was working fine. So I got it in there, but I don't want to make I don't want to make anything of this until we're absolutely certain. Right. The purpose of the press conference was to show the world that we have had extraterrestrial visitation to this planet. That there's some other power out there some uh, uh, besides us with super intelligence and I believe I believe that the uh, the reason our government is covering up the fact that there are UFOs is because we are the most powerful nation in the world and yet we cannot control our skies we notified uh, numerous media agencies and uh, You two and one other from the Mojave uh, uh, Daily News are the only ones that showed up. The only ones that seem to be interested in the truth. And I want to give it to the world, but it don't look like they want it. They don't want to know. They say they want to know, but they don't.
9: And meanwhile, Bob White says he knows where his object came from. He wants to know what it is. You may remember late last year, we aired a report on White's Museum of the Unexplained in Reed Spring. The centerpiece of the museum is an object, White says, was blown off of an extraterrestrial or possibly an experimental government aircraft. In the 1980s, White and a friend were driving in Colorado at night When they saw bright lights over the highway, the UFO emitted a small flash of light and took off. White says the light was the object which he recovered. White has passed a polygraph test on his story. Here's the most recent story on the object. The object, over 80% aluminum with rare trace elements and the strength of steel. Bob White found the object. Robert Gibbons, scientist, historian, former aircraft engineer, and director of the Museum of the Unexplained. Dr. Gilbert Jordan, physicist, worked on space and top secret military weapons projects. Years ago, was shown an object recovered by the military, he says, appeared very similar to this one. Well,
5: have something in the safe, and I can't get it out, it won't work.
9: In February, the three took White's object to the International UFO Congress in Laughlin, Nevada, and checked into a suite at Harris Hotel. Immediately, magnetic door keys to the rooms did not work, and the three had to keep getting new door key cards. The object was placed in a digital room safe, and the next day, with media in the room waiting to see and photograph it...
5: I tried the safe three times. It worked properly. I placed the object in the safe overnight. When they tried to get it open with a digital uh, computer that they had that they plugged in, it said the safe was open, but it wouldn't open, so they had to
9: drill it. One of the batteries was found cracked and leaking. Happenstance, you might say, except it happened twice more when the object was placed inside the safe. And hotel personnel had to be called to crack it each time.
6: We never suspected this until this thing happened at Lawson with the lock situation. Needle moves, and basically there's a different amount of radiation
5: given off from the object.
9: Some type of emission, perhaps in the x ray or. gamma-ray range.
6: We're trying to uh, to see what what would have caused this film to be exposed. There's no question that the film has been exposed in some manner.
9: Another test, the object was placed on unexposed dental x-ray film for 36 hours. There was exposure apparently from the object.
6: Is it theirs? Is it ours? This could have been uh, one of ours. Now we have a, we have a, actually the object doing something. We've got to find out how what what it's doing, what it is, you know.
9: And the classified yeah. object, Dr. Jordan says he was shown years ago by military and officials, similar to this one.
5: I said, "Do you know what this is composed of?" They told me that it was primarily. Uh,
6: Aluminum with uh, some uh, silicon, a little bit of iron, nickel,
5: and some, uh, calcium thrown in some trace materials. I asked, I said, is it radioactive or anything? They said, well, we can't tell you that. I have something here that belongs to the world. This is something I think everyone should know. Extraterrestrial? Or is it something that came from this planet? Something that our government is working on? I believe we have a right to know that.
9: from another world.
0: Oh, I see. I was going to ask, why would our government not want us to know about it?
9: Well, that's been an argument, you know, for years among those who uh, say the government continually has tried to cover these kind of things up.
0: Well, this is something that's not going to go away. We'll we'll be hearing more about it. We will keep our eye on the object,
9: and if anything else develops, we'll certainly let you know if you want to know. Because the truth is out there, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) be
2: Well, he's changed the, the uh, disc, uh, some of the uh, high points as far as the directed exposure from the uh, object, uh, a normal x-ray spreads out. It doesn't direct a so co- coherent beam that was done to the x-rays. Uh, the other thing, that, like I said, I mentioned before, the amorphous peak. Is unknown in 1985 in any aluminum manufactured. Uh, we have testing that has been done that has identified cosmic radiation bombardment. Now, you can only get that. You can only get the new fast neutron radiation from a nuclear reactor or from outside Earth's atmosphere from cosmic radiation. Airplanes that uh, travel at 35, 40,000 feet in the air pick up cosmic radiation and they, uh, become radioactive as they fly. They have to be decommissioned sooner or later because it's not safe for people to fly in them. Now, um, if it's a manufactured object, all the tests say it is. It's an alloy aluminum. It's not cast. It's free formed. And it's been in a vacuum because it has elongated spirals, which is the silicone being more than 5 microns in length. That's a sign it's been in space was formed in space. Again, you have to have gravity to set there to do that in, in, a, in aluminum alloy. Uh, go ahead and we'll start this here. And if uh, you hear some scientists talk about it.
10: When I looked up in the sky, it was something I had never seen before, and I had the feeling it was not a good world.
5: I had uh, contact to go to uh, Los Alamos, and there I met uh, uh, who is the uh, top uh, metallurgist, and Dr. who they called in on spatial occasions. And he was really excited about this, because he would never seen anything like it before. He said to me, uh, this is something that I've been looking for all my life. He said, this is definitely extraterrestrial. from Los Alamos. They said they did the analysis on silicon. I called Dr. and I asked him about it. He said, aluminum, aluminum. And I'm saying, why does he keep telling? Why does he keep talking about aluminum? The report says you did it in uh, on silicon. He said, we'll we have to talk to did it. So I called and said, isotopes? No, we didn't do any isotope tests at
11: all. Although Los Alamos was supposed to do this isotopic ratio abundance test, they denied that they did.
12: So were you getting the feeling that all these scientists that were doing
11: the analysis were, were lying to you? Absolutely lying to me. My initial impression of the object was that it was extremely extraordinary. Um, it was something like which I'd never seen before. Chris Ellis is a solid-state physicist with an expertise focusing on aluminum alloys and semiconductors. After poring over the data, we found that the object is an aluminum alloy of unknown origin. This is not anything like we've seen before. There are some very unusual uh, metals in this object that you typically do not find in other alloys. What's the chance that these elements would end up in this alloy either naturally or accidentally? I'd have to say pretty much zero. So this is absolutely a, a manufactured object. Looking at a detailed list of all the metals and all the um, elements that can be found in this object, it's conclusive that they're there by purpose. We're looking at something much more advanced than what we're currently familiar with today.
10: We are in Kimberling City, Missouri, investigating the Bob White story. In 1985, after seeing multiple UFOs, an object is either ejected or shot down towards the ground. Through scrupulous scientific analysis, no one can say what this piece actually is. We are now sitting down with two scientists who are brave enough to come out and speak to us. And even though the institutions they're affiliated with requested to remain anonymous, we are uncovering new clues that are being discovered about Bob White's object.
3: I did two types of tests. The first test I did was X-ray diffraction analysis.
12: David Lamb is a research scientist currently at a major university in the U.S. His expertise is in physics and material science and he spent the past year researching the Bob White object.
3: What's very unique about this is we have what's called an amorphous peak here. And that amorphous peak tells me that this is a polycrystalline semiconductor. What's the significance of that? I mean, how how anomalous is that? You don't find that in aircraft aluminum.
11: Where do you find it?
3: I'm not aware you find it anywhere. Another thing that's very unusual in this is it has silver in it, and a very high percentage of silver, um, about 4.3% silver. Silver is only used in aluminum at the experimental stage of superconductivity. If you spray the surface of aluminum with silver, then you enhance superconductivity. Let's say you fire a, a, a bullet through a magnetic field. Well, it's going to have experienced drag. But what if that bullet was able to superconduct it? It would expel the magnetic field, and that bullet would not slow down. It would not experience any kind of drag. So. If this was something traveling through space, and it was going through, let's say, Jupiter's powerful magnetic field, it could theoretically expel that magnetic field and zip past Jupiter without experiencing those forces.
12: Now, with superconductivity, is that difficult to achieve?
11: Space is the perfect environment for superconductivity. You have to expend no energy to get objects to be superconductive in space.
10: So if an object were fabricated to travel in space, on its own, this would be the kind of object it would be.
11: Yes. You're going to get the biggest bang for your buck out of the native properties of this object in space.
10: What do all these things have in common? These objects have unique qualities that might point to an extraterrestrial origin. I think the evidence is absolutely overwhelming going all the way back to the 1930s running right through for 70 years There's a collection of trace evidence that is astounding. The problem is absolutely proving without a shadow of a doubt that that trace evidence is causally connected to the high strangeness that people experience. I think the wall between what we have now and where we want to be for absolute proof is tissue paper thin. We must keep going. The answer is on the other side of that wall. We've invested, after hearing the cases in Poland, of this vitrified soil possibly connected to these unidentified holes we think they might be testing us but for what reason we don't know then we hear the story of bob white and actually hold the object in our hands and we read the reports from top-level institutions that can identify it it's fantastic and as time passes further scientific testing may one day prove that it's of extraterrestrial origin we just received a phone call from david Lamb. After conducting additional scientific testing, he now theorizes that Bob White's object is a quasi-crystal of a very complex structure. This type of structure is considered to be the cutting edge of nanotechnology. It didn't exist in 1985, and even today, it's in its early stages of development.
5: I'm not a skeptic any longer.
6: Uh, it's like the best mystery story you've ever read.
5: And I know the truth.
6: Uh, this perhaps is the, uh, one of the most unusual
5: UFO stories that uh, I have to believe what I saw. We're just going to keep pushing and sooner or later we're going to push over the apple cart. How many other people have a piece of a UFO? All right, shut this down. I saw this Let me play this
2: here. I believe that I've proven my case. I don't know why I have to... There. I
4: did a sworn affidavit. I passed the polygraph test by a 28-year police veteran. I'm willing to take any other polygraphs that anyone wants me to take. Because you see, I have the truth on my side. And when you tell the truth, you can't get trapped This has been a long, hard struggle. Trying to give the public something that belongs to them. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the public. It belongs to the world. The whole world should know about this. Why am I having such a difficult time? Why am I not getting the help that I believe I deserve? You can believe this, what I'm telling you, or you can disbelieve it. I know I've been told by a lot of people that sometimes sleep deprivation will cause you to hallucinate. Perhaps I hallucinated this whole scenario. scenario. But I couldn't possibly hallucinate the object. I didn't hallucinate that. There's an old saying too good to be true and usually when someone has something that's too good to be true it usually is too good to be true that's not true in this case i'll be 71 72 years old in march i have an aneurysm in the aorta i've had two heart attacks stress related since this i've been trying to find out what this is I'm a diabetic, all members of my family need a family, four brothers and one sister all of them. I'm the next to the youngest, and I've lived Maybe there's a power greater than us that gave me this obligation. I would like to find out what I have before I die. this is. And tell people what you have with sincerity, honesty, and have them say that you're a charlatan and and that you're trying to uh, capitalize. knowing that I would pursue it till my dying day. It's been a long hard struggle.
2: I think we'll stop it right there. You pretty well got the idea that Bob's trying to let everybody know what's going on. And we'll take some questions we get running out of time. And I know I know you have some people up there out there that want to ask you some questions. Yeah, Bob uh, passed away in 2009. Uh, he had two heart attacks right after we did the uh, UFO Hunter show, Relics. And um, he basically gave me the object because he knew he was running out, of, running out of road. And in August of that year, we got a lockbox together and I was the primary holder of the lockbox and Bob was the secondary on it. And a month after that happened, he passed away from a car accident. Now the car accident was classified as an accident, but I have the car at my house right now, and the uh, car runs fine. It's beat all the heck. I mean, it, it's been rode hard and beat up, and he was thrown from the car when he had the accident. When I pulled the spare tire off the back of the car, the spare tire was shoved in, a big dent back there. Now the car ran off the ditch, and passenger side and impacted the hill a little bit and then come back up on the road and flipped on its side, on the the driver's side, and spun. There's no way that the rear end of that car could have been dented or shoved in from a normal drive-off ditch type accident. Also, when we set the car back up, the door on the driver's side is shoved in just about bumper high. Now I can't prove that, but the accident scenario does not fit the damage to the vehicle. And the more I look at that car, when it's sitting in my driveway, I still use it. I use it around the, the, the house, moving stuff and everything. It runs and drives perfect. You know, There's not, nothing mechanically wrong with it whatsoever. But I question how he died. And that's basically all I can tell you about that other than it's just, I I got, I got reservations about that. Do you think he was shoved off the road? I believe he was shoved off the road. I, I, I believe that. I can't prove it and I'm not even going to attempt to prove it. But the damage to the car does not fit the damage. I mean, the accident scenario does not fit the damage to the vehicle. This is right after Let, you let's have, up,
1: have but, the questions for the microphone so we, everybody can hear them. All right. Okay. But I think Bob White has been really brave that he really... What would you do if you had something like this? How would you get anybody to listen to you? So he braved all these skeptics. And Larry is carrying on, oh, on the
12: work. So, you have a question? Oh the truck. If
1: up here, we'll use the microphone up here that everybody can hear.
2: We just got my new book out, just fresh off the UPS truck. Uh, so if anybody is interested in <coughs> seeing anything else that I have, which I did not display on here, it's in the book. I'll be here all weekend downstairs. Anybody has questions, I'll answer anything or show you anything that I have. Do we have any
7: questions here? Sure, A uh, group of us grew up the Reed
6: Spring, about... Let's oh, say eight or nine years ago, and you had an electromagnetic uh, measuring device. And uh, we had some real anomalies with the electromagnetic radiation device at that time. And when we left, you guys were really puzzled about those uh, readings that you're getting. Are you aware of that? And do you know anything more about that?
2: Well, you're talking about this here. You can watch it, the EMF signal coming out of the object right there, and right here. anybody I don't know if you can see that or not. Say, say. Oh. All right. Put the meter down here, set it, green, come right on up the object, and you'll watch it. Start going to orange and red, right there. Now there's two signals coming out of the object right now. One's in the high range at 500, or in low range at 500 megahertz, and the other one is a range I don't have a meter that will read. But it's definitely putting out a putting out a signal. I've never seen a bridge bit try to do that. Uh, at least not a my Morse will do that.
5: Um you know. uh-huh.
2: Mine's more of an observation. I've come from an aluminum background. And first of all,
6: if I heard it right, Bob said he
5: saw it glowing. Yes. Now, aluminum, as soon as it turns solid, <laughs> does not glow. So it depends
2: on the elements in it. No,
5: I understand it, but I'm no. talking about commercial, available oh, aluminum. Oh, right. Absolutely. Now, I've been to Marshall as a NASA uh, establishment looking at new alloys. And we were not offered anything like that. It was mm-hmm. just minor tweaks to existing right. specifications. So all I'm doing is offering an observation. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like if there's some crystalline in there, that could have been what was glowing, but normal commercial hours. Uh, no,
2: fine. none, none whatsoever that matched, even come close to matching this, this element list. There's 33 elements in the object. Uh, some of them are most rare on the planet, they can all be located on the planet but they're not normally put into an aluminum alloy. Um, As I said, the bombardment of this by cosmic radiation, fast neutron, uh, is the key that says it was outside of Earth's atmosphere and it was formed outside of Earth's atmosphere. Now, who formed it? I can't tell you that. Who made it? What kind of process was used to do it? I can't tell you that. Is it alien?
7: according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash podcast. That's indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. But
2: it is extraterrestrial. Now, if it was formed in outer space, above 100,000, 110,000 feet in a vacuum environment, who made it? That's the question. And... That's the answer we're seeking now. i was just
9: wondering if uh, that was the original shape of the object.
2: No. The tip was cut off for nids. Bob did that himself with a hacksaw. Took him two and a half hours to cut that little tip off the end of it, and broke two hacksaw blades doing it. This end was cut at Los Alamos in 1960 or 1996. Uh, you saw that on the DVD of them with him in Los Alamos doing it. Now we've had uh, SEM uh, Polaroids from their testing at several labs. And what we didn't know in 1996 when we started this, our first test was a basic elemental at TSL Labs in Springfield. When they did that test, there was elongated spirals again in that SEM. We didn't know what that was until a scientist at Mesa State explained it to us. The elongated spiral over five microns in length is that is is from outer space in a vacuum. So you know what
6: frequencies are being emitted?
2: 500 hertz on the one.
6: 500
1: hertz. That's a normal ra- r-
2: that's a normal radio frequency. Radio frequency. But the other one is in the upper range. How high, high up? I don't know. Because so these meters don't have an actual. You know, it takes a lot lot higher uh, uh, meter than what I've got.
1: I have a photograph of when when I originally saw it, and it was all intact.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: Linda was there; she went out and saw it also, and it was the whole shape before he took it in and cut it Okay. But you know, what would you do if something like this happened to you? How would you get anybody to listen to you? It's a government, nobody is
2: interested, what you? Yeah, you know that's that's the whole thing. When we got involved in this, we figured people would beat beat the door down. You know, and uh, they did. They beat us up. They didn't beat the door down. You know, we we were shunned like you came like.
1: Came here,
2: nobody would even go up and look at you it. You know, uh, we we came here first, like I say, nineteen ninety six, and basically we were blowing off. Well, that, that's the bottom, that, that's the nice way to say it. <laughs>
1: see, that's why they got a bus and took it all over the United States. Because well, somebody'd come and see it. They had the museum. But what else would you do to get somebody to look
2: at it? Yeah. We came down here with a bus, had it parked out in the park lot several years. You know, uh, I don't know if Lee appreciated that too much, but we did it. <laughs> uh, the name of the book I just wrote is that you can only go as far as you push the Bob White I, I legacy. I wonder
1: how many other people have things like this and then they give them to the government to test and they never seen again. Yeah. Probably a lot of them.
2: You know, there's something going on. Now, I have one other um, little bit of information that came in a couple of days ago. I have a scientist doing soil sample testing in Connecticut where this occurrence happened. We picked up soil samples in 03. I was out there in 06 and picked up soil samples, and I was out there, I had a friend at Smuthon, Davina Rosinski, picked up soil samples at 09 while we were doing the UFO Hunter Show. What happened is we found vitrified soil, which is a type of soil it, it takes a high amount of heat, over 2,000 degrees. turns to glass. It's similar to the trinitite from the atomic bomb blast in 1945. So that's where the first light that Bob saw was that. And the sole sample, there's glass form, formations there. I have pictures of it downstairs. That people weren't happy to look at and show you. Uh, it just, it don't make sense as far as, it being ours, I, I can think of no technology we have today that's even hints at making this object.:
1: You know when I, the first time I saw it, I had just an impression it may not be true, but to me it looked like a waste product that came out of the U.S. Well
2: well, yeah, now it's been called) <laughs> <you know. laughs> All right, all right. He laughed because the original story we did on that, Bob called it Space Doo Doo. Now that's exact. That was exactly what it was named, Space Doo Doo, the Springfield because, News Leader.
1: I, even was something to do with the propulsion system. Maybe if, when they took off, the space <coughs> product fell.
2: Right. It's a possibility. Seen this seen this could be a fuel cell of some sort, advanced fuel system. It's sending out a signal. It could be a location device of some sort. It could be a signaling device to bring somebody back. Uh, it may be sending out. SETI's look, uh, SETI is looking for people out there in, in La La Land, in extraterrestrial land. They're not getting any answers. Answer is probably right there.
1: As good as
2: any. You know, maybe the answer is right here. You know, we know what's putting out a signal. Where's the signal going, to who? Um, The more I got, if anybody had told me 20 years ago, I would be standing here on this stage, talking about a piece of a UFO, I'd have told them to get off drugs and seek help immediately. Because I'm the the biggest skeptic to ever walk this planet. I'm not real sure we landed on the moon. Or maybe we did, I don't know.
9: If I understand
2: you correctly, this is putting out
9: a radio frequency signal. Can't hear you. As I understand this, if I understand this correctly, this is putting out a, a radio frequency signal. Is that correct? EMF,
2: yes, 500 Hertz. As far
9: as I know, I'm not a physicist, but as far as I know, that never occurs naturally. Is that correct?
2: As far as I know, I've never found it anywhere. Okay. And nobody's ever told me that. It's now EMF, the entire room is full of EMF. You no, know, yeah, your lights and microphones, yourself.
9: But
2: it's all man made. Yeah, well yeah. Well no, it's not all man made. EMF, signal, every you know, uh, X ray, gamma ray, beta, uh, source, visible light.
9: But the source is man made.
2: Now, the source right here is coming out of this source. Stars, of the other is uh, where the signals come from is coming out of here. There's no doubt about it.
9: As far as I know, there are no materials like this, metal materials or anything else that will emit the radio. No,
2: I don't know of any. You know, I, I don't know of any, I don't, I've never found anybody that, I, I've said for 17 years, people have told me this is a slag, from a slag pile, and it was uh, formed in a factory, a spillage, uh, you can find this sitting underneath a grinding wheel in the shop, in a machine shop. Well, you're not going to find this in a machine shop. I don't know if we can hear this or not. Can you hear that? Aluminum don't ring. It it's very porous. This rings. Yeah. And I'm just hitting it with my finger.
1: You just signal them to come in. Huh? You just signal them to come in. And then
2: shortly. I had to redo it, she missed the best part. Anybody else?
0: You mentioned you mentioned radio frequency waves I'm not that familiar with mm-hmm. with that but I remember way back when Art Bell had a chunk of something and they took an implant out of out of an abductee and it was that was probably it, one of the greers it had something to do with the radio frequency wave like that and I was wondering if you thought there was any connection or if you heard that
2: I don't know I know I don't I don't I do am not familiar with that Dr. story Meyer, you know I'm not not aware of the story. I know, uh Dr. Greer? a or Greer or something like that, I can't remember his name right off the top of my head, uh, has done a lot of implant research. Now, he may, may know something more than I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, what, what, what do you say? It, the thing speaks for itself, anybody that knows anything about metals, Knows, this is 85% aluminum by all tests. It's got a high silicone content, which is highly unusual. It's got 33 rare earth elements in it, identified so far. A normal aluminum alloy only has nine, 11 at the max. One of the main ingredients in an aluminum alloy is tin. There's no tin in this, has never been identified. So that pretty well eliminates an Earth's man-made object right there. The second question you've got to ask yourself, if this was manufactured here in an aluminum plant, who would have 33 elements in-house to build this? Yet hey, it can't be identified. Like I say, some of the stuff's the most rarest you can find, europium, Gallium, gadolinium, strontium, titanium, and the list goes on. I don't know what else to tell you. You know, you can make your own choices. You can take the evidence as you see it, as I presented it, as Bob presented it. Uh, He passed four polygraph tests of what he saw and how he got this thing. And I've continued what he started or what we started together, and I'm going to keep on pushing. I have one other point I want to make. I had, I had a scientist dealing with soil samples right now in Connecticut. got an email from him yesterday. The soil samples that he's collected, that, I, that we collected, I sent to him, both 306 and 09 had the same rate of decay as the Pusihimi meltdown in Japan during the tsunami. The decay rates match. So we may have by accident discovered that this is a nuclear waste dump out there too. You know, that's, that's just a side note. And uh, <laughs> it, it's been... Uh, the, the contamination out there—it it shouldn't be there—in that—in that soil sample, other than the vitrified soil from the light.
1: Um, moving away from the physical to the metaphysical. Okay. And and after reading, I think almost all of your books, I have come to think that really there's no coincidence. So it sounded like from Bob's. Description like this object was, was kind of like thrown out at him in his direction.
2: He thought that it dropped. but It, did, it didn't drop. It was propelled. It, it was propelled it, towards. It him. had to be propelled because if it had dropped, it had dropped hundred miles away from him. Right,
1: and he wouldn't have been able to find he never it. Found so it. It, it was propelled mm. to him, and it left a trail so that he could find it.
2: We know that the object was in a molten state in a vacuum environment forced or ejected from some process into an extremely cold situation and propelled back to the planet. It solidified solidified instantaneously from the cold on the outside. That's where the chads formed, or the layering effect on it. Mm -hmm. The object inside is solid. Now, again, knowing aluminum and what you can and can't do with it, when aluminum melts in an oxygen environment, it's always rounded on the edges. You can never get a sharp edge like it's on this object. This has real sharp edges and it's feathered out. If this had been in an oxygen environment, those chads would not be there. They would be rolled over melted.
1: Well, I guess what I'm getting at is, I mean, if, did you wonder why this came to him? I mean.
2: He was just at the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the wrong time. You know. He don't know. He didn't know.
1: Did did he ever do like a hypnosis or anything no. to find out?
2: No, he never never did any regression or hypnosis. Uh he did hallucinate it, you heard that, you know. Uh but he couldn't hallucinate the object.
1: Okay, thank you. <laughs> yes. No, I know you're trying to think was it directed for him to find it, Tim? But you know, when it hit the ground, it would have been buried. Well, nobody else would have even seen
2: it. If it had that. been, it if, be if it hadn't, hadn't hit the hillside, out there. If, it hillside if it hadn't been a hillside, if it hadn't been a hillside, it would have buried. When now, Robert Saint John, Tim Ever shot a video in nineteen ninety five.
1: But if of, he hadn't seen it, it would have just stayed right, the right,
2: right. Tim Ever shot the video in nineteen ninety five of a long tubular light in the air over Soledad, Colorado. Robert St. John saw the same craft 200 miles south. He's a radio DJ. And he's seen the object propel objects into the side of the mountain. Actually, witnessed this. Now, we got the same object, same style of object, in the same area as Bob's encounter in the daylight And witnesses see objects propelled out of it.
1: I was wondering how many others have fallen off of craft and nobody even knows.
2: That's another thing my scientist has said to me. He said, I think the area has been bombarded by neutron radiation more than one time. And he says, I think what happened to Bob has happened more than once, possibly multiple times. Now, this is a mainstream scientist that is not into UFOs. This guy does work for uh the government, he does work for uh cave management, they do soil sample tests, that type of thing. So when you're talking to mainstream scientists, if this guy is correct, his name is Peter Fabrillion, by the way. I, I say names, I don't cover stuff up, I put it out there. You know, if if you tell me something and you give me your name, I'm gonna tell you and everybody else who your name is. And you told me that. And he's telling me this two days ago or three days ago. You know, like he's in constant contact with me.
1: Okay, Larry, this could be the last question.
2: Okay.
12: Yeah, uh, prior to Dolores saying the comment about, uh, you know, the fuel, there has to be a fuel and a source. Mm -hmm. And whenever that happens, uh, basically, there was a guy named Roger Billings who developed the hydrogen engine. I, I met him personally. Mm-hmm. Now, the the air that was coming out, the exhaust like carbon when you know how you can get chunks of carbon coming out of a gas. This is the exact same thing, but with a spacecraft. And what it is is. Possibly the alien UFO is collecting radiation and negative radiums and things like that out of the air or atmosphere or water or this or that and converts it. And instead of, instead of the, uh, the pollution being out there, they're, they're using the pollution. They are leaving a bit, a small amount of burned pollution as a result. But they're, they're, they have to get energy from somewhere. So by collecting it massively and they conduce it and leave it in that form.
2: Just one awesome. problem with that Convert scenario it. there's one
12: problem with that scenario.
2: You're dealing Just with theory. a man made object in aluminum. You do this not find aluminum outside of anyone. Earth's atmosphere. You find you not you do not find aluminum in planets, meteorites, uh asteroids. There's no naturally occurring aluminum anywhere. So there goes where'd they get the aluminum if they didn't You know, what's going on? Where does aluminum come from to start with? It's a manufactured object, and I'm running out of time, and thank you all very much. I appreciate it.